It's not something that just happens and then, man, I hit it. Boy, I'm here and I'm the perfect husband for the rest of my life. Uh, that is not the way uh, things go. We are a work in process and so we need to understand that. We need to understand as we're looking at a, a, becoming a kingdom husband and becoming a kingdom wife, we're going to cover those two sessions uh, this morning, uh, we need to understand that God is developing us and that we will. We, there are times that we're going to succeed, there's times we're going to feel like we're failing. I Several years ago, uh, David Young, an evangelist, uh, uh, came to Las Vegas. Now, Dave's a very good friend of ours. Uh, his his family's like our family. Uh, they live, however, back then they lived in Ohio. They flew out. He brought his son, who was eight years old, to Las Vegas. It was the first time his son remembers coming to Las Vegas. Now, I don't know if you've ever flown into the Las Vegas airport, but if you fly into the Las Vegas airport, you're going to see some things that you typically wouldn't see as a Christian. Uh, there's going to be there's going to be billboards that are not very acceptable billboards. Uh, they're not they don't they don't think of the Christian community uh, when they're developing the billboards around the Las Vegas uh, area and particularly around the airport. There's all sorts of things that you shouldn't be looking at. So they were pulling out of the airport. My son Matthew. Uh, picked up David Young and his son, Matthew. My, my son uh, was uh, in his mid-20s. Uh, the, his son, Matthew, was in uh, about, or again, about eight years old. He was sitting in the back seat of the car. Now, David Young is a very good man. I has taught his, his sons, uh, whenever they see something inappropriate, to, to guard their eyes and look the other direction. And so uh, we call it bouncing your eyes from that which is bad into that which is good and changing your thoughts from that which is negative into that which is positive. We talk, we'll talk about positive replacement tomorrow evening. So he was, uh, they pulled in, they, they came into uh, uh, the airport, they're driving out of the airport and as they're driving out of the airport, boom, all of a sudden the billboards become apparent to young Matthew Young. And... Uh, and so he looks up at one billboard, he turns around to look the other way. When he looks at the other way, there's another bad billboard. And, uh, my, uh, and Matthew said out loud, he said, he said, Dad, this is a bad place. There's wicked people here. And then my son Matthew, who was driving, said, Matthew, that's why we're here. We're not here to condemn the world. We're here to be a light. You see, these people don't know about Jesus. They don't know how to live uh, for the Lord. They don't know anything. And so we're here to tell people about Jesus. And we've led many people to Jesus Christ. And they just don't know better. And we're, we're here to tell them how Jesus loves them. And he died for them. And he was buried and rose from the dead for them. And that through putting their faith and trust in Jesus, they can go to heaven. And, and uh, so that's what we're here to do. We're to help these people so that they'll start doing right. Well, as they drove down the road a little bit farther... Matthew noticed again more billboards and more billboards and he reached up to his father and he whispered in his ear he said they're not doing a very good job <laughs> in life sometimes we can think hey I'm not doing a very good job I'm not really being what God wants me to be and how in the world am I supposed to be a godly husband I've been working at it for about 44 years and I can I hope to hope to keep working on it for years to come but we need to understand that what God's word says about being a husband is a totally different than what we see 
on situation comedies, on television, what, the, what we see uh, in movies, what we see portrayed in our world. God has a plan for the family, and we want to look today about becoming a kingdom husband. Many women today are frustrated as wives because the romance that they expected before marriage seems to leave after the honeymoon is over, if it was there even during the honeymoon. It's very easy once we get married and we begin to deal with daily business of life to forget to show the love to our wives that God commands us as men to do. In 1982, Dr. James Dobson wrote a book about about marriage. He wrote many. But in 1982, he, he gave this scenario of a lady that came into his office who was just about done with marriage. She wrote this uh, to Dr. Dobson. Actually, she said these words to Dr. Dobson, and he later wrote them in his book. John and I were deeply in love when we got married. We struggled the first two or three years, especially with financial problems. But I know he loved me, and I knew I loved him. But then something began to change. I'm not sure how to describe it. He received a promotion about five years ago, and that required him to work longer hours. We needed the money, so we didn't mind the extra time he was putting in. But it never stopped. Now he comes home late every evening. He's so tired, I can actually hear his feet dragging as he approaches the porch. I look forward to his coming home all day because I have so much to tell him, but he doesn't feel much like talking. So I fix his dinner, and he eats it alone. I usually eat with the kids earlier in the evening. After dinner, John makes a small phone call, or uh, makes a few phone calls, and works at his desk. Frankly, I like to hear him talk on the telephone just so I can hear his voice. Then he watches television for a couple hours and goes to bed. Except on Tuesday night, he plays basketball, and sometimes he has a meeting at the office. Every Saturday morning, he plays golf with three of his friends, then on Sunday, we go to church most of the day. Believe me, there are times we go for months without having a real in-depth conversation. You know what I mean? And I get so lonely in the house with three kids climbing all over me. There aren't even any women in our neighborhood I can talk to because most of them have gone back to work. But there are other irritations about John. He rarely takes me to dinner. He forgot our anniversary last month. And honestly, I don't believe he's ever had a romantic thought. He wouldn't know a rose from a carnation. And his Christmas cards are signed just John. There's no closeness or warmth between us. Yet he expects me to become passionate and responsive to him. I tell you, I can't do it. Sure, I go along with my duties as a wife, but I sure don't get anything out of it. 
And after the two-minute trip is over and John is asleep, I lie there resenting him and feeling like a cheap prostitute. Can you believe that? I feel like nobody loves me. I'm a lousy mother and a terrible wife. Sometimes I think God probably doesn't love me either. Well, now I'd better tell you what's going on between John and I more recently. We've been arguing a lot. I mean, really fighting. It's the only way I can get his attention, I guess. We had an incredible battle last week in front of the kids. It was awful. Tears, screaming, insults, everything. I spent two nights at my mother's house. Now all I can think about is getting a divorce so I can escape. John doesn't love me anyway, so what's the difference? What difference would it make? I guess that's why I came to see you. I want to know if I'll be doing the right thing to call it quits. The sad thing is that story can be repeated over and over and over. And I'm not talking about in secular homes. I'm talking about in Christian homes. And it's sad because men don't know how to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. In your notes, you should have Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. If you don't, then I would encourage you to open your Bible and read along with me, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. God gives some specific instructions to husbands about how to love their wives, how to be a kingdom husband. And we live in a world that's wicked, that's fallen apart. We need to understand we're here to represent the kingdom. How do I do that as a husband? Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Jesus takes us, he washes us, he cleanses us. He gives us everything. But that, uh, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But he nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Father, in the next few minutes as we're looking at this important subject about being a kingdom husband, I pray you'll help me to communicate your truth to your servants here today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First point I want you to see is this, 
that God says we're to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives unconditionally. We don't, we don't come to Christ, uh, we don't, Christ didn't come to us because we deserved anything. Christ came to us knowing we were sinful, knowing we were undeserving of anything, knowing that we deserved to go to hell. The word love in the Bible is the word agape here, and it means unconditional love. It means I'm going, that should be the next slide, uh, love, or do we have that? Yes, love equals agape, it's unconditional love. The idea is no matter how she treats you, you're going to love her. It's not about what she's doing for you. It's about you're here to serve her. The church at times has shown no respect for God throughout history, and yet he loves us unconditionally. The church has been disobedient at times, and yet God loves us unconditionally. He doesn't say, well, you blew it, get out. He doesn't say, you messed up, so leave. He doesn't say You're, you are disinherited. The church has been selfish at times. I want what I want, and yet God has loved us. The Bible tells us, in fact, that our love is a very, very selfish, self-centered love. In, in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 19, the Bible says it this way. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. It's not something that we earned. He loved us unconditionally. He cared about us. He came to us. He did for us. Not because of anything we've done. The only reason we love him is because he first loved us, and yet he loves us anyway. None of, of this curtails his love for us. He continues to love us no matter what we do. He pursues us, and, and we need to perpetually pursue our wives. Now, before we got married, we pursued our wives. We did everything that we thought we needed to do in order to get them to say yes and to, to, to marry us. We, we would buy them flowers. We bought flowers for our wives. I don't know about you, but I remember being in college, and I was broke. In college, I was, uh, I, we had nothing. And I remember thinking, back then you could buy a single rose for a dollar. And if you wanted a vase to put that rose in, it cost $1.50 for the vase. And then they would put, uh, they would put the flower in the vase and they'd put a little ribbon around the vase and they would put some baby breath in there. Uh, and they'd put all this little, little green stuff and it looked so cool. The problem is I didn't have $2.50. I didn't have a dollar. And but, but whenever I had an opportunity to work and do something and get some money, I always thought about getting my wife flowers. I, I can remember one time I got a little vase. And I, I told you yesterday, she was... Uh, in the girls' dorms on one side of the football field. We were in the girls' do or boys' dorms uh, on the other side of the football field. Whew, in the boys' dorms, you get in trouble. Uh, girls' dorms. So, um, so uh, I remember getting her uh, a, a rose and getting it in a vase and having her, her roommate take it and put it in front of the front door of her, uh, of her uh, a, a dorm 
so that when she came up and she saw she saw it and she walked around it because she knew the cheapskate wouldn't have bought it uh, but uh, but but then she she looked at the rose and the card was from me and it said I love you and uh, it was it was right I did that why why did you spend that money and and you say two dollars fifty cents that's not much it was a lot back then why'd you do that because I wanted her to know that I loved her it was an act of romance it was a, a way of saying I care about you we took her on dates. I can remember the first date I took my 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 wife to now. I, the very first date, Hardy's Hamburgers. Uh, uh, that was it's Carl's Jr. out here, but back east, Hardy's Hamburger Joint, and we we went uh, we went there and uh, uh, just I, I remember that uh, we waited patiently for her. It was time to go, and she wasn't ready yet. But it's okay. Listen, no problems. What I mean, that which is worth having is worth waiting for. And and oh take all the time you want. Do you remember those days? Don't rush on my account. It's okay. There's no pressure. Just take all the time you want. <laughs> Things change, don't they? Remember we would go over and open the door for her and then she would get inside and we'd say thank you princess just get right inside and you'd take care of her that way all those things that you say you say well i never did that well then you really need a lot of learning (laughs) remember back then when you used to shower and you put on cologne and you made yourself smell good so that uh, she would appreciate you you remember Treating her parents with respect. Do you remember? Oh, your mother's coming to visit? No, it was, oh, yes. What can we do? Let me tell you what I did. When uh, uh, It took me a while to convince her mother that I was worth having. And, uh, and I can remember one, I worked one summer in a church in North Carolina as a summer intern. And at the end of the summer, a gentleman in that church said, hey, what would you like? I'd like to do something for you. I said, I don't want to do anything. All I want to do is go up and see Anna in Pennsylvania. And he said, I'm going to buy you a ticket. And he flew me to Pennsylvania to see Anna. And when I got up there, I'd never been to her house before. I saw that her house, her mom's house, hadn't been painted by for 30 years. I mean, it was it was really badly in need of painting. And I just thought, what can I do here? I'm going to be here for a week. And I thought, yeah, I said, hey, would you like me to paint your house? And you know what she did, that woman did? She said yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I wound up spending a week painting her house. Now, this house was a, was a, it's a country house. It was next to a creek in Pennsylvania. There were vines growing up on the side of, of the house, all the way up to the side of the house. I've never, I'm a desert rat. I was born and raised in Las Vegas. I didn't know what to expect. There's no animals that live in our house except lizards and some cockroaches uh, that when I was growing up, I didn't realize that when you're you're painting a house that hasn't been painted for 30 years, creatures live around that house. I I, I remember I remember going out and thinking, all oh, these vines on the side of the house, they got to come down. Listen, I, I I grew up in the desert. We have rattlesnakes in the desert, but I didn't ever see those rattlesnakes. Um, I I decided I was going to rip all those vines down, and I started ripping those vines down, and a, a 
black snake about this long. And I'm not exaggerating. I, I really think it was much longer, but Anna said, no, it's only about this long. About that thick. I mean, it just it fell out of the vines and started coming towards me. And I, I thought, kill it. And they said, this is what they say in Pennsylvania, oh, it's only a black snake. Man, that's worse. It's terrible. Kill the thing, you know. That, I mean, I'm just... Uh, uh, I'm uh, it freaked me out. I remember I, I climbed up to the second story of the house. I grew up in a single-story home. Uh, I, I went to the second story of the house, had this extension ladder that we got from the neighbors or someplace, and I'm up there, and I there's there's a hole in the trim of the house, and, and I decided I was going to put... Uh, I, I needed uh, to make sure I clogged that thing up. Before I did, I wanted to make sure there wasn't anything inside. I reached inside, and I heard... I thought, what in the world is that? And I, I thought, what? And I, I pushed something in there, and out comes this flying squirrel. Looked like a rat to me. And I thought, man. And it jumped out of me, and I jumped off the two-story. Anyway, so why are you telling that story? Because that's what I was willing to go through to impress her parents with the fact that I was a great guy. We traveled. You, you would travel to see her. I remember hitchhiking one time. Uh, I, I hitchhiked 80 miles to go see my wife because I wanted to be with her. I hitchhiked uh, from one from where my aunt lived in Pennsylvania to where she lived in Pennsylvania. I hitchhiked uh, to go see her. Why? Because I wanted to spend time. We would spend time, we'd spend hours just talking. It's one thing about going to a Christian college. You go there, you're not allowed to do anything else but talk. And so we would spend hours talking and talking and talking. I remember when I went to Bible college. And listen, when I went to Bible college, I had gotten converted. I'd just gotten saved um, when I was 16 and a half years old. And I, and I, and I went to Bible college. And I, I, I never, my dad died when I was 10 years old. I didn't have any rules and regulations about what to do. The only thing I knew about dating relationships was what I saw Cary Grant doing uh, with Doris Day on television in the afternoon. I didn't know what you were supposed to do. I thought that a date was you go, you meet a girl, you hold her hand, and as soon as you can, you put your arm around her. As soon as you can, you kiss her. You go to a movie so you can kiss the girl. I thought that's what you did. I thought that's what a date was. You know, that that's what you did. So when I, so when I went to Bible college, they said you're not allowed to hold hands with a girl. I said, what? You're not allowed, you're not allowed to hold hands. You, I had to be in the house, in the room at 10.30, and lights out. I had to make the bed in the morning. But that wasn't so bad. It was this hold, no holding hands and no kissing. You're not allowed to kiss a girl. What are you supposed to do then? You have to talk. That's what you have to do. And I learned. I learned. We spent hours talking. We did that before we get married. <clears throat> then, after marriage... Boy, do things change. Come on, honey, it's time to go. Honk, honk. We don't even know how to pick flowers, let alone, let alone, let alone buying flowers. We, get, we, we take for granted that they're always going to be here. And that's a sad, sad thing. We did all that to get them. And yet we forget what we need to do to keep them. We're to love our wives unconditionally. 
Well, you don't know what she says to me. Well, you don't know how she respects. There is no respect from her. And you don't know the uh, things that she says. And you don't know how she treats me. I don't know. Husbands will come into my office and complain to me. But I can tell you this. Look, you may not do anything to, to change her, but you can do a lot to change yourself. You can say, I'm going to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. And that means I'm going to love her unconditionally. It's not based on how she responds to me. It's not based on how good the breakfast is. It's not based on how good lunch or dinner is. It's not based on how she comes to me. I'm going to love her unconditionally. I'm going to treat her right. And love, by the way, is the fulfilling of the law, the Bible says. Love is just doing that which is right by the person that I say I love. We have it all mixed up. We think love is all about feelings. It's not. Love is about actions. It's about treating someone right. And we need to understand that. So number one, I need to love her. If I'm going to love my wife the way Christ loves the church, I need to love her unconditionally. Number two, the Bible says that husbands should sanctify their wives. The word sanctify, the word sanctify means to set apart. It means to set apart. That's the next slide. Uh, The word, the, 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 the idea of set apart is this, that she becomes the most important person in my life. Your wife should feel like she is number one. Does she feel like she's number one? Like she, that your wife should feel like she is special, like there's nobody else like her. Man, I had a, had a guy call me one day and he said, pastor, he said, I need you to come over to my house and straighten out my wife. And so I said, I said, let's go. I said, get my wife, because my wife and I, I don't counsel by myself. My wife's with me. So I said, let's go over. We got over to her house. His name was Bud. And when I got to his house, he had, he had rearranged the entire living room. He put a love seat right here, and he put two chairs right across from them and a coffee table in the middle. He brought me in and he said, would you sit here and your wife can sit next to you? And then they sat on the coffee table, or they sat not on the coffee table, on the chair on the other side of the coffee table, and we sat there looking at each other. I said, now, bud, what did you want me to explain? He said, would you explain to her that it is natural for me to love my mom and dad more than I love her? Because I was born to them. He's just going on. Because I was born into their family. I've known them for 23 years of my life before I married her. And I just married her two years ago. And I've only been in the house with her for two years. It's more, it's natural. Would you explain this to her? He's obviously trying to explain again. uh, That that it's more natural for, for me to love them than to love her. And she's just sitting there with tears coming down her eyes. I said, Bud, let me tell you something to you. I said, uh, the Bible tells us this, that when a man gets married, he's to leave his father. Well, no, first, first I said, I said, explain to me how this whole conversation started. He said, every October, since I, before I can remember, my dad and I have gone up to Ely and hunted together. That's something we have done all of my life. And I said, okay, well, that's good. So he said, I said, what's the problem? 
The problem is she wants to go with us. She's never hunted before in her life. And she wants to go. And I've explained to her, this is something that I do with my father and has nothing to do with you. Some of you are getting the idea. Bud's dumb. Okay. So I said, I said, here's, here's what the Bible says, Bud. And he's looking at me like, give me some support here. I said, Bud, the Bible says when a man gets married, he's to leave his father and mother and he's to cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. The word leave means to, to put away, and to cleave means to stick together like glue. She needs to be feel like she's way more important to you than your, than your father and your mother. And he's looking at me like, don't do this to me, preacher. <laughs> don't do this to me. And I said, I said, let me tell you something. Your father never said this. I will stick with you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and cherish till death. I said there's only one person in this room and in this world that's ever said that to you, and that's her. He said, whoa. She's just crying as I'm, as I'm saying, look, you need to understand this. You need to understand this. That's the case. My wife lived in beautiful Pennsylvania next to a creek. I brought her to hot Las Vegas next to a drainage ditch. <laughs> That's what I did. She left for better and she went to worse. She had, a, she had everything she needed. She went from richer to poorer. She has taken care of me in sickness. She has, and because she, she took me for sickness or in health, to, to, and to love, honor, and cherish until death. She's the only person, Rick, in my entire life that has ever said that to me. Can I tell you, husbands, that's, that is worth her feeling like she's number one. She's more important to you than anything else in the world. She's more important than any other relationship. The Bible tells us that he sanctifies us. He sets us apart. The Bible says he left heaven so we could be, so he left his relationship with the Father so he could have a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 says this, Likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel. That word weaker means does not mean uh, lesser. It means the most, more precious vessel. It's that in, in my house, I don't know about your house, but in my house, there's the stuff that I get a drink out of, and then there's the stuff that's reserved for company. And, uh, and nowadays, we don't even, it just sits there. It's, it's beautiful crystal stuff that was, that's there for nobody else to, to drink out of, but the special person that's going to come sometime after I'm dead. Uh, there's, that, that, there's, that special, there's that special vessels. That's the idea, that she is a special protected vessel. Honor given to the weaker vessel indicates protection of a precious Delicate treasure. Does your wife feel that way? Does your wife feel that way? 
Your wife should feel as though she is set on a pedestal. Does your wife feel that way? Man, this is hard stuff. It really is hard stuff because as soon as we start talking about this, the devil says to the minds of husbands, well, when she starts treating me the way she's supposed to treat me, no, let's just talk about you. Let's just talk about what God wants you to be as a husband because you're the head of the home, you're the leader of the home. Third thing is this, husbands should protect their wives' purity. Husbands should protect their wives' purity. I want you to note that in a passage we read in Ephesians, it says that Jesus washes and cleanses us. That should be the next slide. Uh, Jesus washes us and cleanses us. People will ask me all the time, uh, not so much anymore, but I, husbands used to ask me, wives used to ask me, because we live in such a sexually oriented society and because we have such deviation in our society, what is proper and what is improper in the marriage relationships? There's all sorts of books written like everything you ever wanted to know about sex and were afraid to ask. There's all sorts of, of, of sexual books that are out there. And the question comes up, what is appropriate and what is inappropriate? I like to say a couple of things. Number one, there's no part of your body that God created that is unclean or that is filthy. And that the Bible, or, and, and we know that, that people have perverted the relationship between a husband and wife and made it into something dirty. So that, so that uh, we use expressions and people will use expressions like, oh, that person's dirty in their mind. A wife came to a friend of mine one day and said, said, my husband's got a dirty mind. All he ever wants to do is sleep with me. Well, that's wrong thinking. That's wrong thinking. The Bible tells us that God created the husband-wife, the physical relationship between husband and wife, and it's a pure relationship and a wonderful relationship. But, but our world has gotten to a position where they're, they're, they're talking about all sorts of different practices in the marriage relationship. And so the question is, what is okay and what is not okay? And what, what's proper and what's improper? And I, 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 I dealt with that for some time in my mind because people would ask me that question. And this is the conclusion that I came up from this passage, that Jesus would never ask us to do anything that would make us feel dirty or unclean. So between the husband and wife relationship, there are some, God would never make, make us do something that would make us feel demeaned. Now, if the normal physical relationship between a husband and wife, if you're thinking that's dirty or unclean, then, then you're thinking wrong. But I'm talking about other things, and I won't go into detail about other things, but uh, if, if it makes your wife feel like she's less of a person, or it makes her feel demeaned, then you ought not do something because Jesus would never ask you to do something that would make you feel dirty or unclean. A husband should never do anything that makes his wife feel dirty. And that's, that's just taking from this passage of Scripture. Now, I do want to say again, the Bible says that the marriage bed is, un, is honorable in all things. 
it's 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 honorable. Hebrews uh, thirteen four says marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. People have asked me about uh, a husband and wife watching pornographic movies together. Is that right? No, that's not right. When you're watching something on there, you're watching a whoremonger. You're watching an adulterer. The Bible says that the relationship between the husband and wife is between the husband and wife. And it's absolutely wrong. People say, well, uh, it's okay. I've I've actually heard of Christian counselors who have told uh, Christian wives that they should watch with their husband if that's what their husband wants. That is so wrong. The, the relationship between a husband and wife is between the husband and the wife, not watching somebody else perform. And it's not, you should never be asking or expecting your wife to perform like some airbrushed model on some picture that you saw or something that you saw demonstrated on the internet. It's ungodly, unholy, and profane. And the Bible tells us that, that the marriage, however, between the husband and wife, you should enjoy one another. And we'll talk about that more in the next session. The marriage bed is for the man and the woman alone. And this excludes any other person in any way. Pornography of any type is totally and completely contrary to the will of God. Jesus said, husbands, or he, he said, he said, um, He said that if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery already in his heart. So so husbands should purify their wives. They should protect the purity of their wives. Number four, husbands, the Bible says in verse 28 and 29, should love their wives as their own body. And here's what he says specifically. He says, you, you nourish it. You nourish it, that means to feed, to bring it to maturity. The idea is there, you take care of her, you bring her to a point where she wants to be with you. You feed and she feels like you're taking care of her. It means that we take care, we are to take care of the physical and the emotional needs of our wives patiently to the point of response. Very, very important. Somebody said this, that when it comes to the physical relationship in marriage, that a man is like a microwave and a woman is like a crock pot. And the fact of the matter is, you need to understand that she needs you to care about her and not just to get a physical response, but that when you take care of her and you love her and you nourish her physically and emotionally, that's what will bring the proper response from her. The word cherish means to keep warm. It means to foster with tender care. And this is not an overnight process. It's not an overnight happening. It's something that that is something you work at throughout your marriage relationship. God wants us to nourish, to cherish, and you do that until forever. I had a good friend. His name was uh, his, his Cecil Vilwalk. I, I did not meet him until 
he was about 70 years old, and I was probably in my mid-30s. He stayed in our church. He moved from Oregon down to Las Vegas. They wanted to get in a hot, dry climate, and so they came to Vegas. And him and Marilyn, just as soon as they came to our church, started getting involved in the church. Um, my son, Matthew, right after he got married, Cecil must have been in his 80s at that time. My son, Matthew, said, Cecil, you've been married for many years. He said, he said tell me one secret to, uh, to uh, your longevity in marriage. I think they'd been married 45 years or so. He said, I don't know much. He said, but I do know this. She likes just to be touched. She just likes to be tenderly touched. And he wasn't talking about it in any sensual way. He was just saying, she needs to be cared for. It's a process that you learn. It's something that you begin to do and you work at throughout your life. Give her everything she needs to feel secure and satisfied. The wife's number one need is security. And she gets that through your sensitivity. Your sensitivity to her, what she's talking about, it's amazing. It's amazing to a man that a woman just wants to talk about it. She doesn't want the solution. She doesn't necessarily want you to fix it. She just very simply wants you to listen. And men, listen ladies, that drives men nuts. Just fix it so we can watch the game together. Uh, Just get the thing done. But the truth of the matter is, she needs to know that you care about the things that she cares. And your sensitivity to listening to what she has to say will, will draw her heart towards you. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, practically, you should. Uh, th- th- this would include things like your hands rubbing her tired feet. I, I, I really thought after I got married that my wife had a problem. She would say to me, David, would you rub my feet? I thought, why would anybody want their feet rubbed? And I thought, this is just a unique problem that my wife has. She likes to have her feet rubbed. If this is what she wants, I'll rub her feet. And I really thought for years that that was just like her little deal. Then I had three girls. And I would sit down on the couch and they'd say, Daddy, would you rub my feet? I thought, oh my goodness. Then they got me watching these Hallmark movies. And I found out all women want their feet rubbed. It's a genetic problem. Why? I don't know. My feet hurt. Leave me alone. I can rub my own feet. But... But if that's what it takes, listen, that's, what, that's your way of loving her. The Bible says this, render unto your wife due benevolence. You know what that means? It means love your wife the way she wants to be loved. If it's rubbing her feet, your ear to listen to her concerns about her friends and families. Just listening. My wife is good. She takes my face and she turns my face towards her. And she says, David... Look into my eyes. Now, at times I feel insulted, but it really, 
it really gets my attention. It makes me realize I'm supposed to be listening and my mind is going 100 miles an hour. Your ears listening to her concerns about her friends and family. Your prayers for her daily needs. My wife loves it when I pray for her. When she actually hears me pray, your wife will appreciate you praying for her. Does your wife ever hear you pray for her? She said, hear you pray for your help taking care of your children. Why is it that when we're watching our children, we're babysitting? But it's, they're, they're, they're just as much ours as they are hers. And yet, uh, well, that's her job. No, it, your help taking care of your children. Number five, your understanding when she fails. She made a mistake, and you understand. Instead of you criticizing, why in the world did you do that? My, my son had just gotten his driver's permit. And we had a 1991 caravan. It was our best car. And it was, uh, and he had just gotten his driver's permit. He was 15 and a half years old, so that's got to be like 16 years ago. The car wasn't that old. It was a nice car. We had an old bubble top camper van in our driveway that sat next to our, our, uh, the caravan. I said to Matt, go out and start the car up. I would tell him, go start the car up. It's cold and let it warm. But he knew he was never supposed to drive it without me being in the, in the uh, car. And so uh, he went out to get to start the car up. He started the car up. He decided that day he was going to back the car out of the driveway. The problem was it was very close to the yellow van. And so when he backed it out of the driveway, he ripped the side door. And there was this great big rip all along the side door of the caravan. For years, that caravan door fell off the car while we were driving. It was a lot of fun. Uh, great <laughs> memories. So we, uh, we um, I, I, he, he parked the car, realized what he had done, pulled the car back up, and then he came out to, uh, he came into the house. He said, Dad, I got to talk to you. I said, why? He said, I wrecked the car. Just that <laughs> like that. He figured he might as well get it over with and die now as go through suffering. And I said, you did what? He said, I just wrecked the car. I was backing the car up. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to say, you did what? You weren't supposed to back the car up. You're not even supposed to. You, I didn't even, I, did I ask you to do? That's what I wanted to do. But we had friends in the house. And so, <laughs> so I, was, I was gracious. I said, I said, Wow, let's go out and look at it. So I walked out and looked at it. And, and I saw the thing was just ripped. I thought, man, this is going to take a mess to clean up. And I said, well, I said, are you okay? He said, yeah. And just by the grace of God, I responded in the proper way. And I looked at him and I said, Matt, don't worry about it. You shouldn't have driven the car. I said, you learned something? Yeah. I said, I said um, you shouldn't have driven the car. It was wrong. But I want you to know something. I said, I want you to know... And I want, you, I want to say this to you. I didn't always respond the right way. I just happened to at this time. I, I looked at him and I said, I want you to know something, Matt. You are much more valuable to me than that van. We have insurance that will take care of it. I just want you to know you are more valuable to me. 
listen, your wife should know that she's more valuable to you than anything else. And when she makes a mistake, when she does something, you should be gracious and understanding when she fails. She needs your assistance in taking care of your home. She needs your assistance in taking care of your home. Not criticism because it's not done, it's not right. Uh, How come this house is always a mess and how come this isn't there and how come that isn't there? She needs your assistance in taking care of the home. Which brings us to the last, or not to the last point, to the next point, and that is husbands serve your wives. Husbands should serve their wives. Now, you say, where do you get that? Well, First of all, this, you need to understand, I said this last night, the husband is the head servant of the house. we got to understand this. When Jesus came, Jesus said, I did not come to, to get served, but to serve others. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, the Bible says this. Do we have this on the screen? He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. The word ministered means served. For the Son of Man came not to be served or ministered to, but to serve or to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You're to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. You're to serve your wife. So, I mean, for so many years we've, we've, we were taught, I'm honestly, I can remember as a kid thinking, well, you come home and the wife is to serve the husband. She's the servant in the home. That's just the opposite of what, the, of what Christ taught. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And we're to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. Your wife will learn how to serve by watching your example. You're the example in the home. There's a time, as I was learning this, that I, I decided, look, when I get off work and I drive home, there's a point, because in ministry, and just like your occupations, there's some, there's some things that you never stop thinking about. There's always the thing. There's always the problem. There's always the person. There's always, and uh, there, there's a, you, you're driving home and you're thinking about, oh man, I should have taken care of that. I should have taken care of that. I should have taken care of that. There was a point in my life I realized as I got to, for me, there was a Walmart not far from our house. Uh, and, and I thought when I get to there, I'm going to stop thinking about this back here. I'm going to start thinking about my wife. And I'm not, I'm not going to be thinking, when I get home, I hope she's got this ready for me or this ready for me. I'm, going to think, I'm thinking, when I get home, my wife needs me to minister to her as much as everybody else in this world needs me to minister to them. I need to think about my wife. I need to think about my children. I need to think about them. I need to think about them. That's what I need to do. And so I started thinking, when I get home, how can I help my wife? And when I went by that Walmart, it was my checkpoint. It was my checkpoint. I was back in in, um, Biloxi, Mississippi the other day visiting some people. And as I was coming down the road, I went underneath these great big trees that were hanging over the road. It was beautiful. It was like a great big tunnel of trees. And I thought, man, if I was the husband at the home that I'm going to, when I got to these trees, that would be my checkpoint. I would say, okay, I'm leaving that behind me, and I'm going to think about my children. I'm going to think about my wife. I'm going to think about them. You have to, you have to determine that that's, what's going to, that's, that's going to be the case. Your wife should learn how to serve by watching you. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, Blessed are those servants 
whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. This passage indicates that when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to sit you down and serve you. What an amazing thought. Think about this. For the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been preparing a place for you. He's the husband. You're the wife. When we get to heaven, he's not going to say, Honey, I'm glad you're here. Would you fix me something to eat? I'm glad you're here. Would you finally, would you do some, he's not going to do that. The Bible says he's been 2,000 years preparing us a house. When we get there, he's going to sit us down. Pastor Lynn, this is amazing. He's going to sit us down like he did Peter, and he's going to serve us. And if, he, if we don't let him serve us, he said to Peter, if you don't let me serve you, you're not part of me. You see, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. If I'm going to be the head of my home, I should be serving everyone in my home all the time. I should be ready to serve them. You say, do you get tired? Yeah. Do you, do, 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 do you want to? You're right in the middle of a show and you're watching something and, and one of the kids say, Daddy. You think, oh, no, not now. The guy's just about to kill him. <laughs> And you say, but what your heart should be, I'm up. My son needs me more than I need to be entertained right now. Wow. What a difference in thinking. We are to, we are to be like Christ, who is going to serve us in the home that he's prepared for us when we get to that home. Now, I know some of you husbands are thinking, could we just end this and get into the wife's part? We've got two more things that you need to hear. Number, num- and you're not going to like this any more than you like the last one. Number six, husbands should take the blame. Husbands <laughs> should take the blame. I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard when I've come to church, uh, oh, well, preacher, you know, I'd have been there on time, but you know the way women are. Hmm. Husbands should take the blame. Oh, well, you know what? I would be serving Jesus, but my wife just, you know, my wife just doesn't want to get into that. Husbands should take the blame. The Bible says this, that in in our passage, it says he gave himself for it. What that means is this, that he took your blame. Here's what it says in 1 Peter. 1 Peter says this, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now let me explain this. When when the devil comes to God the Father and he says to the judge, Dave Tice blew it. Dave Tice uh, was angry. Dave Tice, and he tells the judge, what Dave Tice did, Jesus stands up and says, oh no, that wasn't Dave Tice. That was me. He takes the blame. He will not allow me to be accused in front of the judge. He takes responsibility for everything. If you're to love your wife the way Christ loved the church, you'll never allow your wife to be blamed. 
you won't be saying, well, I'd have somebody over the house, but you know, it's always a wreck because he never gets the house ready. You'll never say, uh, you'll never say, well, kids, I guess we're going to go out and get something to eat because the wife didn't get it done. You'll never say to your friends, well, we would come over, but you know, it's just, no. Husbands, take the blame. That's what Jesus did. If I'm going to be the head of my home, then I need to be responsible for whatever takes place in my home. You say, I don't like, I don't really like that. No, I don't either. The Bible says he took our sins. He took our blame. A husband should never let his wife be blamed for anything. I had a guy say to me one time, our church was uh, fairly young. It was only about four or five years old. And this guy was really upset, was leaving the church. And he, he said, he said, let me tell you about your wife. I said, I don't need to hear anything about my wife. I said, I, he said, that's just it. You don't, you don't see your wife ever doing anything wrong. You, don't, there's, you think your wife is perfect. You think she never does anything wrong. I said, is that what you think? He said, yeah. I said, good. I said, because if I ever did see anything wrong with my wife, you would never hear about it. He said, well, I don't understand that. I said, that's why you have a problem in your home. Listen, husbands should never allow their wives to be blamed for anything because you're the head. You're the responsible one. And you should take the blame. Number seven, husbands should adore their wives. Husbands should adore their wives. In John chapter 3 and verse 17, the Bible says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I got married to my wife 44 years ago, and I've been chasing her ever since. I started chasing her before, and I want her to know that I think that she's the most gorgeous thing on the planet. I just think she gets prettier year after year. And your wife should think that, think that man, he just can't keep his hands off of me. Yeah, that's the way he, she should think, that you adore her. That you, that you want to be with her. Jesus came to save, not to condemn. The Bible says, the Bible says that uh, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to save us. Jesus could, there's all sorts of things he could tell you wrong about yourself, but he doesn't. In fact, it's absolutely amazing. When we stand before him, in Romans chapter 14, the Bible says we ought not be judging our brother. And then he says this, that we're all going to stand before Jesus. And when he does, the Bible says, as Paul said this, then shall every man have praise of Jesus. This is absolutely amazing. That means that even Dave Tice, and I know me, I know who I am, and I know what, how I've blown it, and I know, I know how messed up I am. But Jesus is even going to have something good to say about me. If he, He's going to say something good about me. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. God, Jesus has, Jesus adores us. He loves us. If you read the Song of Solomon, in the Song of Solomon, um, chapter 7, and, and many theologians say that this is a picture of the love that God has for his church. Well, man, Solomon describes his wife. 
he describes her from the top of her head to the bottom of her toes. And he doesn't, he mean he's some pretty graphic terms. He even tells us how much he loves her belly button. I mean, I'm telling you, he just describes her and tells how beautiful she is. He adores her. Your husband, your wife should know that you adore her. Take care of her better than you do yourself. That means repeating, I love you over and over and over. I love you. I have my, my mentor, a guy named Sumner Wimp, said this. He said, my wife has a 50-gallon tank that I have to fill with I love you every single day. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. She doesn't get tired of her. Tell her, tell her how special she is. Tell her what a wonderful mom she is. Tell her what a wonderful wife she is. If she's a grandma, don't tell her this if she's not a grandma, but if she's a grandma, tell her what a wonderful grandma she is. Tell her what a wonderful friend she is. Tell her about what a wonderful servant she is. Tell her how wonderful she is. Leave her special cards. Ronald Reagan, after he died, his wife, Nancy, uh, wrote a book. <clears throat> she didn't really write anything except the introduction, and she just shared with, uh, with the world the love notes that Ronald Reagan had written to her. Listen, while he was governor, while he was busy doing all the other stuff he was doing, while he was president of the United States, day after day, wrote her love notes and love, just cards that said, I want you to know I love you. I'm going to miss you. I got to be here. I'm gonna... and, and constantly letting her know that he adored her. Now, I've had ladies in this next point say, preacher, don't tell my husband to do this. But I, 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 so you do whatever you want to with this. Get her clothes that you think she looks good in. I bought my wife all sorts of sensual outfits for me to look at. I'm telling you this. What I'm saying is this. Let her know you think she is great. Focus on what's attractive and not on, not on what's attractive, on what's not attractive. Listen, I had a guy say to me one day, he said, I, I, I said, look, you're, you know, we've been married all these years and she's just let herself go. I said, buddy, look at yourself. <laughs> the fact of the matter is find something attractive. And he said, I, I can't find anything attractive about her. And she was a very attractive lady. I said, well, then you need to get right with God. Focus on what's attractive and not on that which is not attractive. Whisper a soft word or a soft touch or a pat or a wink. I, I used to wink at my wife while I was preaching. I stopped doing that one time when I winked at her and a guy was sitting in front of her with his girlfriend and thought I was winking at his girlfriend and asked me, after, why are you winking at my girlfriend? I said, my wife was sitting right in back of you. Oh, okay. That's good. I was... I was um, was walking out of our auditorium one time, and uh, I would say things to my wife. I whisper things in her in her ear that I wouldn't want anybody else to hear. And uh, so I was walking by my wife one day. And I was walking down the aisle, and I I walked by her and I gave her a pat where only I should be patting her. And because I thought nobody's, I mean, there's a crowd of people around, but nobody's noticing what I'm doing. And I pat her, and a lady that was had been in our church for a long time we used to call her mama silva she looked over and she said i saw that <laughs> and I, I said oh i'm sorry she, and my wife's blushing and she said no go tell tony to do that 
your wife needs to know that you adore her. Um, with a soft word, a, a touch, make her feel special in private and in public. My mentor, Sumner Wimp, he, when he was 76 years old, uh, he had come and he sp- spoke at our missions conference. And after the missions conference, we were going out to eat. We got, uh, I was sitting in the front seat driving and he was sitting next to me and his, his wife and, uh, and my wife were sitting in the back seat. We got out of the car. They, they started in, my wife and, and uh, his wife were together. And we were about five feet in back of them. And uh, he did this loud enough so that she would hear it. He said, hey, Dave, come here. I said, what? He said, you ever seen a pair of legs on a 76-year-old woman that looked that good? <laughs> and she said, oh, stop it. Which meant, keep it up, buddy. <laughs> I'm just telling you, God wants you to adore your wife. Let me finish these last two points and we're done. Find out what she likes and do it or get it. And then let her know how special she is to you. Preacher, preacher called me up. He said, Pastor, I'm, I'm taking a nine-week sabbatical. He said, I want to know, what do you think I should do on a nine-week sabbatical? Are there any books that I should read? Are there any things that I should do on this nine-week sabbatical that you would suggest? I said, I've never taken a nine-week sabbatical. I texted him back. I said, if I was going to take a nine-week sabbatical, this is what I would do. I said, you're spiritual enough. You read the Bible every day. You study for it. You, you, you pray every day. What you need to do is just go to your wife. Ask your wife, what do you want to do for the next nine weeks? We'll go anywhere you want to go. We'll do anything you want to do. And we'll never see any other person that you, that, that, you know, if, if that's what, whatever it is you want to do. He wrote back and said, you're such a good husband. I thought I'd like to convince my wife of that. But the fact of the matter is, that's what you should be thinking. Listen, again, nobody in the world has committed themselves to you like she has, even your kids. One of these days, I I, I tell people I spent, I think it's $250,000 you spend to raise a child. You raise a child, spend $250,000 raising that child, you put everything into them, and then you know what they do? They find somebody, and after six months of knowing, and they say, I want to marry this person. And if it's a girl, she'll say, you have to pay to get rid of me. You have to buy this wedding, you have to buy all this stuff, and you have to get it, and, 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 and you pay it. And then she leaves you. But your wife is with you throughout life. So treat her that way. Father, help us to be the kind of kingdom husbands you want us to be for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.